Again, it's Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as, as it is written of him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, today's message is called Glorious Kingdom Now. Um, friends, I think for a lot of us, we seek the glorious you know, when you think about that word, glorious, what, what does that sound like? It sounds like something pretty awesome, right? Something spectacular. Um, I don't know, maybe for some people who are going to the Super Bowl today, they expect to see a glorious game. I don't know. <laughs> a glorious halftime show. Um, our brother Michael White is actually there at the Super Bowl today, so we'll ask him if it was glorious. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe for some of us, we expect glorious experiences of God. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced a glorious experience of God? You know, maybe where you felt like it was like a little taste of heaven. You know, maybe you went to a retreat or revival and the music was just awesome. It stirred your heart and you closed your eyes and you just felt like there was like light in the room. You know, you felt that warmth in your chest and you were crying tears of joy and everyone was praying and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. This is glorious. This is great. I don't know what it's like for you. But maybe, you know, for many of us, that's what we want. Maybe that's what we think heaven is going to be like. Maybe we think heaven is going to be like this. You know, when we think about the kingdom of God, it's, this picture is not as whited out on my screen as it is on yours. I don't know if you can see it, but it's like uh, steps that lead up to like this glorious like palace. And you see people all dressed in white. And I don't know if you can see on the right. This is how I know that this is not real. Can you guys see on the right what those are? They're unicorns. Well, actually, my, my, my daughters would tell me, technically, Dad, those are not unicorns. They do not have horns. They have wings, so those are pegasus. You know, I, I've learned this. My, my kids are experts on unicorns. Apparently, do you guys know this? If it has a horn and wings, you know what it's called? It's called an alicorn, right? Hashtag dad. Dad knowledge, right? I, I get that wisdom. But anyways, yo, why are there pegasus there? You know, I'm like... Yo, is this heaven? Or is this, uh, um, is this like 
some like Greek, you know, uh, Mountain Olympus, you know? And it made me think, like, like, actually, maybe our image of what heaven is supposed to be like is actually kind of pagan, you know? It's like, like you got the Pegasus flying around, and, you know, um, I actually got this from a website that was using this non-ironically. They were just like, oh, heaven, you know? Like the kingdom of God, right? That's what we think. We think of these glorious things, and friends, I don't know what it's going to be like. It probably will be glorious, But I wonder if maybe when we think about the glory of God and glorious experiences of God, it's just so out there, so otherworldly, that it does not touch our experience every day. You know what I mean? I think maybe for some of us, if we think that, well, for one, the glory of the kingdom of God will only come after you die, what difference does that make now? Right? Does, does that really, you know, change your life? Yeah, may, maybe for some of us, thinking about heaven, it, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. But for me, I got to tell you that I'm like, well, I don't know how long I'm going to live. You know, I'm, I'm already 40. My life's half over. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. You never know. Um, but I don't think about death all the time. I don't think about heaven all the time. You know what I think about? I think about how I'm going to pay my bills, right? I think about the the things of the everyday, the stresses, the anxieties, whether or not my kids are listening to me that morning, you know, whether or not, you know, they're going to be late for school, or I think about the flu, or I think about, you know, what church is like, because I'm a pastor, that's my job. I think about my job. I think about my family. I think about all those things. What difference does it make then? The experience of God. And, and even if it's something like a retreat or a revival experience, this kind of like once in a blue moon, once every you know, few years experience of God, you know, what difference does that make in your everyday? Can we experience God now? That's my question. You know, and I wonder if the way we think about glorious experiences of God actually make that far removed from us. And by the way, maybe a glorious experience of God uh, might look like this. The next slide. You know, the transfiguration. That's the story we read today, right? Of Jesus and the disciples, and they go up on this mountain, right? Again, mountaintop experiences. You saw that other picture. It looked like they were kind of ascending a mountain, right? It's almost like symbolic, you know, in a very physical way. You're going up to an experience. It's up and up and up. It's a positive thing. It's getting better. And you go up there and... At least in this case, Jesus is there and he's chilling with Moses and Elijah. And and the the scripture tells us that his clothes were gleaming white. And, you know, you see the disciples like, oh, right, like that looks glorious. Like, oh, like, is that what we think the experience of God is supposed to be like? And if you don't have that, then you're not experiencing God. Mm. For you mere mortals... You're not going to experience God. You're not going to experience God when you're paying your taxes. Sorry, hashtag tax season. Yo, that's right here. (laughs) You know, you're not going to experience God, you know, when you're just hanging out with friends or when you're doing your homework, when you're eating lunch after church. You're not going to really experience God. Maybe that's what we think because those experiences seem so out there and ethereal. But friends, um, I want to take a closer look at this story 
And also the idea of what is the glorious kingdom of God. That's the title of today's message. God's glorious kingdom now. I want to try to convince you. I've been trying to convince you for some time. And maybe, um, you know, you've heard this before. But I'm going to try to still make this appeal. God's kingdom is something you are supposed to experience now. And we're going to see that from the very first verse, right? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Right? So right there, he's telling them that some of the disciples are going to uh, experience the kingdom of God, see the kingdom of God in power. After it has come in power, before they die. And by the way, friends, I, I've, I've told you this before, but when you hear uh, the disciples talk about the kingdom of God, it's very clear that they did not think that this was you know, heaven. They thought that the kingdom of God was what was going to happen when God came to rule with his Messiah, with his promised king. It was going to be a restoration of the kingdom of Israel, but God himself was going to be king. So it's the kingdom of God because God is the one in charge. But they really believed it was going to happen here on this plane of existence, right? And so it's kind of a strange promise. And it begs the question, what does Jesus mean by that? What events is he talking about when he says there are some standing here, the disciples amongst you 12, some of you, Uh, will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I want to tell you two kind of traditional explanations for this and see if it passes muster. One is that it's the resurrection, right? That that you're going to be able to see the kingdom of God in, in power through the resurrection. That's not bad. That could be the case. Um, Another uh, traditional explanation is that he's actually talking about the transfiguration, right? And I actually think that the people who organized the Bible probably thought this to be true. And and I think that they're kind of tipping their hand at this interpretation because they include this part with chapter 9, right? Because they could have easily tacked this on on the end of chapter 8. Because it's actually part of the discourse that was happening before that we went over last week about the, the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, right? But they're kind of tipping their hand that they think that this is connected to the transfiguration. So they put it together in the same chapter, right? So, you know, that, that could be. You know, some of you are going to experience, you're going to see the kingdom of God after it has come with power, Now, this is the thing that is a little problematic about this. After it has come with power? Well, what does that mean? Does it come with power in the the, the transfiguration story? Because what does that mean that the kingdom of God is going to come with power? Probably for um, many of the, the, the Jews that they believed that that would be sort of the revolution, right? That would be Jesus becoming king and overthrowing the powers that are, you know, at play. And so, that doesn't really seem to happen in the transfiguration. And then there's that other curious phrase. You know, I tell you the truth, that um, some standing here uh, will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. 
Why, why does he mention not tasting death? Why does he just say, there's some of you that very soon will see the kingdom of God, right? Because it happens six days later. What is this stuff about not tasting death? You know, because maybe that's for our benefit because we think the kingdom of God is something supposed to happen after you die. You know, so that could be one interpretation. But friends, I actually have a different interpretation. I think it could be all of those things. Maybe it's a combination of everything, right? But I actually think it's Pentecost. And I'll try to convince you, right? Because let me show you where it talks about this phrase, come with power, with power. Um, Let's take a look at Acts um, Let's see, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Uh, it's a couple slides later, James. Um, and so it says, so when they had come together, uh, and th- this is, by the way, after Jesus uh, resurrected, right? So after it has come with power. Maybe the coming with power is Jesus resurrecting. But he says, Lord, uh, the, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what does that mean? Right? We just talked about that. Are you now going to give us political power? Are you now going to restore the kingdom like it was when David was here? We're going to be in charge. We're going to overthrow the Romans. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, friends, um, go back. uh, Let's go back two slides to the other part. Go back one more, please. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death. Now, the implication is some people have tasted death. Or maybe some won. So at this point in Acts, who has died? Judas, right? So already a disciple is dead. And it's the, the only case that we know in the New Testament that talks specifically about a disciple's death, right? And so to me, the timeline is it's got to happen after one of the disciples dies, right? Therefore, Pentecost, right? Um, but also this idea of seeing the kingdom of God after it has come with power, that phrase, you know, the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. So, friends, the kingdom of God is something that they are going to experience. Well, after it has come with power, the Holy Spirit is going to come. So that in and of itself is not the kingdom of God. It's what happens after that. What happens after Pentecost? Anyone know? You just want to shout it out? Make the sermon a little more interactive? What comes after the Holy Spirit comes? Disciples are, they're speaking the glory of God in all different languages. Then Peter, you know, starts preaching the gospel. People get baptized, and then what happens? What happens? Anyone? They form something. I'll give you a hint. You're all part of it right now. Church, yes. Yes, they form the church, right? So... What happens after the power comes is that church is formed. Friends, I think that is supposed to be the kingdom of God that some of the people are going to be able to see. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Right? That is the glorious kingdom that Jesus is promising. 
Okay? And, and we're going to try to make this case throughout the message. But, okay, now let's go and look at the actual event of the transfiguration. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His, his figure was transformed. That's what it means, right? And so his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And so Elijah and Moses, they're Old Testament prophets. And so um, there's a a lot of questions about why is it Elijah and Moses? Why is that important? The one interpretation you usually hear about this, which I I think, um, you know, makes sense to me, is that it always talks about the law and the prophets, right? Like, oh, you should follow the law and the prophets, which encapsulates pretty much the whole Old Testament. And the law is represented by Moses, and prophets are represented by Elijah, right? And so Jesus fellowshipping with Moses of the law and Elijah of the prophets is a way of saying that Jesus is a part of that whole tradition, right? And his communion is with the whole story of God's salvation throughout time. And so they're chilling, and they're talking. What are they talking about? They don't tell us. They don't tell us what they're talking about. There's only one scripture, uh, because there's three accounts of the transfiguration. They're all very, very similar. But there's only one, and it's the one in Luke, that that gives us a hint of what they're talking about. And what Luke tells us is that they were talking about Jesus' departure, which was happening soon. So they're like, Jesus, see you later. (laughs) See you real soon. You know, he's going to leave, right? And friends, something that we have to keep in mind Something that overshadows this whole story and is a part of it is what Jesus was just talking about six days before. What was was he talking about? He was talking about his death and resurrection. He was talking about the fact that he was going to suffer and die. And he was telling the disciples that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you got to take up your cross. you got to die too. That's not something they want to hear. But even in this glorious moment, the thing that they are talking about it's Jesus' death, right? So there's something you've got to keep in mind. But here, in this communion, um, it, 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 it's something that the disciples, as they're experiencing it, they ask this question. Um, so let's take a look at, uh, uh, go down to verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, um, and remember, it is Peter who asked this question. This is important, and, and you're going to see why in a moment. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were afraid. And so, I mean, they're afraid. Like, like, Peter's kind of out of his mind when he's asking this question. But I think he's asking a question that maybe, you know, maybe he actually thought that this is what Jesus was talking about. When he said, you're going to see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. He's like, okay, cool. So how are we going to form a kingdom? Well, we need to set up camp, right? Let's set up camp here. Jesus, let's stay here. Let's stay on this mountain. This is glorious, right? You're you're chilling in communion with uh, with dead saints, with dead prophets. That's amazing. That's not something you see every day. Let's stay here. And let's gather everyone here on this mountain. You know? And friends, there's another implication to this. If they stay there on the tents, in the tents on the mountain, 
chilling with Elijah and Moses. What does that mean? What does that mean probably won't happen? Remember, it's Peter asking it. Remember last week when Jesus said that he was going to suffer and die? Who objected? Peter, right? He rebuked Jesus. He said, no, no, mm -mm, no, you're not going to die, Jesus. No, this isn't going to happen. That's not where this story is supposed to go. So if they stay up there on that mountain and they just chill there, hey, kingdom of God, let's do it right here. And that means that Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross. Right? That's what Peter wants. That's what he thinks a glorious kingdom is made out of. These ecstatic experiences, you know, where we see the wonders of God. It's very flashy. It feels good. You know, it's supernatural. But friends, part of the problem is that it is divorced from your everyday experience. And by the way, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, then what about the rest of us? There's no salvation, right? There's no salvation. And we come to find out what Jesus' mission is about. It's not just for us to have ecstatic experiences. It's not just for us I would even argue to experience glory, if you understand glory to be, these wonderful feel-good experiences. A lot of us, that's what we think the spiritual life is about. And everything else is just a drag. Ah, I go to church to be uplifted. I go to church to feel good. I go to church so I can cry or have my emotions stirred. And maybe that's some some of us, that's what we want. You know? But I think Jesus is making it very clear that the kingdom of God is more than that. This glorious kingdom is much more than that. And we're going to find out in the questions that they ask. Which, by the way, uh, so as they're experiencing this, a cloud overshadows them. The cloud is very clearly supposed to be the presence of God. Right? Do you guys remember when the Israelites were wandering uh, the wilderness? How did they know the presence of God was with them? A cloud. Right? A cloud would follow them around. This is the presence of God. They're in their midst. And then if, you, if that wasn't clear enough, that from within the cloud you hear this voice, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is echoing the same words we heard at, in baptism. Right? God is saying, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And friends, I wonder, if this were me, if this were the disciples, I wonder that that they might think this, because I would think this. When when that happens, they open their eyes, and it's just Jesus, only Jesus there. Do you think maybe the disciples were like, oh, oh man, I thought we were going to stay here. I thought it was going to be glorious. It was going to be great. Oh, just Jesus? Oh, Man, we've been hanging out with this dude for months. That's old hat. We've had Jesus before. But Moses and Elijah and gleaming white clothes, we didn't have that before. You know, I wonder if for them, they are looking for those experiences. And maybe in some way, Jesus isn't enough for them. You know, and that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is Jesus enough? Perhaps this is what makes God's glorious kingdom. Not the ecstatic experiences, but the presence of Jesus. The communion with Jesus. Yo, listen to him. Jesus is going to teach you some good things. Follow him. Follow him. 
Be in communion with him. He is my beloved son. And through him, I'm going to love you as well. Those words are shared because I love you. This is the kingdom. And so as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. You know, maybe they wouldn't understand those experiences. Maybe people would try to go back up on the mountain if they knew about that. If the, disciple, the other disciples heard, they'd be like, yo, let's go on the mountain. Forget this cross business, right? And so Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't tell them until after I raise from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. How is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So this is another question. Why Elijah? Why is Elijah important? There's a scripture that foretells that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah. And that scripture very conveniently comes at the very end of the Old Testament. Uh, So I actually want to take a look at that um, to kind of see what Jesus is talking about. Let's look at Malachi 4, 5 through 6. It's on the next slide. And so this is the last two verses of the Old Testament. It's kind of cool. And then very next thing, Jesus, right? Uh, Well, of course, a lot of time passes in between. Hundreds of years pass. But in the story of salvation, these are the last two verses we hear. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Friends, What is the kingdom of God supposed to be? Is it a conquering army that's going to come and destroy and lay waste to other empires, to the Roman Empire? So I think that's maybe what they thought. But here it foretells this idea, Elijah is coming to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. What is that? It's reconciliation, right? It's restoration of relationship. You know, I don't know if any of you have had uh, spats with your parents. You know, maybe it's lasted for years and years and years. Maybe there's been all this built up hostility. You know, you resent your dad or you resent your mom. You're like, oh my gosh, your standards for me are impossible. And you get all mad at them. And there's a rift. Maybe there's a rift with you and other people. Maybe there's a rift with us in other nations. You know, we look at them and we're like, ah, oh, look at those North Koreans over there. They're so belligerent and warlike. You know, I, I saw this video this past week where um, an Orthodox Jew um, met a, a Palestinian Muslim. And he met this dude and he didn't even know, uh, the Orthodox Jew did not know that this guy um, was a Muslim. And he was just talking to him. He's like, hey, you seem like a really cool dude. He's like, can I ask you where you're from? And he's like, Palestine. He's like, oh, well, like, like are, are you a Jew or are you a Muslim? He's like, I'm a Muslim. He's like, oh, you actually seem kind of nice. <laughs> he's like, I, I thought all uh, Muslims were barbarians. 
barbaric and warlike and just awful. And the guy was being serious. What has happened in this world? We are separated and divided. There's all this hostility. But it was foretold that Elijah was going to come and start to turn the hearts of those who have been estranged from each other. Those who are supposed to be in the same family of humanity and turn them towards each other. And Jesus talks about that, right? He said, Elijah does come first to restore all things. That's what the kingdom is supposed to be about. It is a restoration. Friends, make no mistake about this. The kingdom of God is not supposed to be a military coup. When you see people and they talk about the Christian faith, I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a second, maybe get just slightly political, but when you see Christians and they side with political powers and they're like, yeah, let's go crush those people. Let's go kill them. Friends, that is not of Christ. That is not of the kingdom of God. That is not a restoration of all things. That is a misinterpretation of Old Testament wars. When you hear people talk about that, notice they will never talk about Jesus in that. It's always Old Testament. It's always Old Testament, right? We're not talking about the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to bring about. Okay, stepping off my soapbox for a moment. But friends, this is what Elijah came to do. And who is Elijah, by the way? The hint here is very strong. And in another gospel um, it actually tells us outright that he's talking about John the Baptist, right? Now, again, friends, when we talk about glorious things, Elijah coming, what is Elijah going to look like? He's going to have a cool robe on. You know, maybe like the wind is going to be flowing. I'm Elijah. I'm coming to prepare the way. Who was the Elijah that we got? Who was he? It's John the Baptist. What, what do we know about John the Baptist? He was dirty. It's like hair was all crazy. You know, he's probably kind of smelly, he didn't take showers, you know. And he just lived out in the wilderness. And he would like eat like grasshoppers and stuff, you know. And wild honey, just eat off the land. You know, he's out there like, guys, repent, repent. And he'll probably be like, yeah, that's Elijah. This is not what I was picturing. He looked like a beggar. He just looked like a crazy homeless guy. That was our Elijah. But he said, Repent. Yo, you've been stealing from people? Stop it. (laughs) Give them back what's theirs. You've been mistreating people? Stop it. Repent. Turn back to God. A restoration of all things. This is what Elijah came to do. This is foretelling the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be all about. And friends, at the end of the day, All the disciples have left is Jesus and them. And that's it. And after Pentecost, you know, it it was a a very impressive moment where the Holy Spirit came in this very powerful way where people were speaking in different languages. I'd like to see that, you know? There are these guys who have been living, you know, in in the the, the, uh, Palestine area their whole lives and all of a sudden... They're like speaking like Chinese and German, you know, and angelic tongues. And it must have been wild and crazy. And people are like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then what was left after that? What was left after that? The church. It was just them. Just them and Jesus. Just like us. 
There's a scripture verse that gets used and abused many times. Um, I actually totally, um, you're going to see my typo. It's pretty bad. Uh, take a look at this. Okay. Uh, oh, it's not appearing. Sorry. It should say, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And what's funny is that it's actually Matthew 18.20. So I just, like, it's even got the 20 on there. Sorry. This is a bad, bad typo. <laughs> That's Matthew 18.20. Uh, for where, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And this is a, a scripture verse that we use a lot. But friends, do you know the context of this? You know, a lot of times we're like, oh yeah. No, when I go to Chipotle with my friends, Jesus is there. You know, two or three are gathered. Maybe, maybe, I'm not saying that's wrong. But you know what the actual context is? It's when somebody sins against you. When somebody hurts you. When somebody wrongs you. Jesus says, take someone else and go reconcile. Go reconcile with that person. For where two or three are gathered, right? Because if you just go and reconcile, there's two of you. If you take someone else with you, there's three of you. That's what Jesus is talking about. There I am with you. There I am with you. When you go to reconcile the things that are broken in this world. And by the way, friends, you got to invite the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that Jesus wants to do in our lives to reconcile, to fix, to make the kind of kingdom that Jesus wants to see where we truly are able to love each other. But I got to tell you, that will not happen without death. You got to die to yourself. You got to die to your agenda. You got to die to your ego. You got to die to your pride. Because that necessarily needs to happen whenever you go to reconcile, right? If you really want to make the kingdom of God, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not like a Palestinian Jew and a Palestinian Muslim trying to reconcile. But it's, maybe it's you and someone that you just hate their guts. You just hate their guts. Like, man, I do not want to love that person. That would be so uncomfortable. Or maybe it's just someone you just don't know. You know, maybe you just have some inherent racism in your life. I think a lot of us do. We're just uncomfortable with people who are different than us. You know? They're like, mm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Friends, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you got to die. You got to die to that. And when you die to that, there is an emptying of yourself that creates room for the Holy Spirit to then come in and fill. And that is the essential part of what makes the kingdom of God. Because, friends, what is the kingdom of God? It is the place where God rules. If you go to Chipotle with your friends from church and the Holy Spirit is not there with you, then it's really not the kingdom of God. It's just two friends going to Chipotle, right? But you can go to Chipotle and you can invite the kingdom of God there, Right? You can invite the Holy Spirit to come into your fellowship. That can be in every moment. That can be here right now. There's some of us who are going to go downstairs after service. And there's going to be someone that you don't know. And there's going to be that ego part of you that's like, you're going to be conflicted. Because a part of you is going to be like, hey, I don't know that person. Maybe I should go say hi. But your ego is going to be like, mm, I just don't want to do that. This feels uncomfortable. What if it's awkward? I don't like awkwardness. Right? But what if we could die to that? We say, Jesus, I'm going to do it anyways. 
I'm going to die to that. And in that moment, I'm just going to be open to your Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do it through my power. Mm, I've got to say really clever things. But just in that moment, just do an obedience. And just see what happens. You know, just be present. And let the Holy Spirit surprise you. You never know what's going to happen in that. The Holy Spirit is cool like that. You never know what's going to happen when you do something in obedience. You know, have there ever been moments where, I don't know, you just like struck up a conversation with a homeless person? And you didn't overthink it. You just did it out of obedience. I remember this, this one time I was coming back from one of my counseling sessions. And I was a broken dude when I was in seminary. Still kind of broken. God's working on it. You know, but I was like healing from my depression and my drinking problem that I had. And I had nothing but my brokenness. Nothing but my honesty. And I remember I was walking back and there's this homeless dude outside of the, the church that I would go to for this counseling. It was a pastoral counseling thing. And I would pass this dude every week and never say anything. And one week, I just decided to just talk to this homeless dude. It's like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, hey, you're coming out of church. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you Christian? I'm like, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. He's like, hey, man, that's cool. Yo, you know, praise God. And we had this awesome conversation about God, you know? And I got to tell you that maybe with my ego, I'm like, mm, I'm going to go bless this poor homeless person. I'm going to show him the glorious of God. I'm going to bring him up to my level. Well, when I just went there in emptiness, I died to myself. Man, I was so blessed. That was like the best conversation I had all month. You know, God blessed me because I came empty, because I was able to die. In every situation, friends, are we inviting the Holy Spirit into that moment to create the kingdom of God here and now? When you think it's going to happen after you die, you don't look for it. You don't expect it. It kind of lets you off the hook too, right? You're like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about the kingdom of God because it's going to come after I die. But when you believe it's supposed to be now, Jesus is here with you now, where two or more are gathered. He's not talking about heaven. It's very clear. He's talking about when someone wrongs you, when your ego starts to die and you're with other people, and you have the opportunity to reconcile and restore those relationships. That is the kingdom of God. 